a copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 10, you will find our verse for uh, this week. Acts chapter 10 is, is where you will find that. And this morning, I, I want to share with you um, a text as we've been going through Acts that, quite honestly, is, is very um, difficult to preach. And, and some verses, some passages are very difficult because um, they're just hard against our culture. They, they uh, really challenge us. Uh, to think differently. Some verses are difficult to preach because uh, the language can be tricky or um, issues in church history that you have to deal with within those verses. Uh, but this week's message is not tricky so much for those things as, as much as it's tricky because I have, a, I have a great burden as we come to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 to impress upon you the importance of these verses. Now, all of the Bible is important. We, we believe here at First Baptist Church of Titusville that what 2 Timothy 3 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. All Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is the Bible. It's, we call it God's Word because we believe it's God's Word. Amen? Okay. And, and so all of Scripture is important and all of Scripture is God's Word. But there are, the, the scripture is, as you read it, it's a story that's unfolding, right? So God revealed his word to us through individuals over a long period of time. And, and what we're looking at as we look at the book of Acts is we're looking at the early church from the, from the ascension of Jesus until really till today... How the church began and what the church did. And what I want to impress upon you today through the next, this week and Lord willing next week, is the importance of Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 in understanding the history of the early church, of the church, and the importance of understanding how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to one another. Because both of these things are, 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 are forefront within the narrative, within the story that's being laid out here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And, and so with that, what I want you to see is Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 11, are what I'm going to call the aha moment of the early church. Have you ever had an aha moment, right, where it just clicks, you struggle, you don't understand, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, aha, I get it, right? You, the, the eureka moment. Um, there's been a number of these that are very important in history. In 1666, the University of Cambridge was closed due to the plague. And Isaac Newton was a 23-year-old student who was at home, sitting outside, and watched an apple fall from, from the tree to the ground. And, and in that moment, he had an aha moment 
the, to develop the universal theory of gravitation. Now, I don't know that I've ever had that much of an aha moment. I, I was reading about some of these. The founder of Ikea was one day as a young man watching somebody load, try to load a brand new uh, kitchen table into the back of a station wagon and watching this man struggle and the fact that he couldn't get his table into the station wagon. And, and from that, he had an aha moment where he said, well, what if furniture was packed in a flat box? with a bazillion instructions for you to assemble. But if it was packed into a flat box, some of you have not shopped at Ikea. You don't understand this. Some of you have, and you get it. But that was his aha moment. You know, in homeschooling, what, what I found, and, and Krista does the bulk of it. I don't want you to think that, that I'm the one doing the bulk of it. But, but fractions and division are just one of those things that, that all of the kids really um, that they really seem to struggle with is, is understanding how to, how to divide. And, and, and like part of it you don't understand. You're like, it's the reverse of multiplication. And they go, huh? Um, but it's just something that takes practice and practice and practice. And then all of a sudden, they have an aha moment. And, and they get it. And they can move on from those. You know, I remember I had an aha moment. One of the, the best ones that I ever had. I, I had known Krista for uh, a, a little bit, kind of impartially, um, but, but I knew of her, I knew, that, you know, people that she hung out with, we, we had talked a couple of times, but um, we came back to class one year, and, uh, and, and she was in one of my classes, and she sat next to me, and um, she, she asked me, I forget the name of the book now, it, yeah, she asked me about Life's Ultimate Questions. And uh, it, it was a book. <laughs> she didn't want to buy it. And so she wondered if I knew somebody that had a copy. And, and I said, well, let's just let's, let's go see if we can find it. Um, and like I had no ulterior motive. I was going to help you find a book. And uh, we went around the library, couldn't find it, and had a good time. And then I don't know if it was that day or the next day, but she called. And, uh, and we talked on the phone till like 2 a.m., which is amazing knowing you now that you stayed up till 2 a.m. with me. But I remember hanging up going, I really like her. <laughs> and, and that was my aha moment um, with that. You see, Jesus taught the apostles this aha moment. It, it shouldn't have been such a shock. But what we read about in these passages are the aha moment of the early church. You see, when Jesus taught the Great Commission, and he, and he teaches this in, in multiple ways, actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts all have a, a Great Commission passage. We think most of the time of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verse 20, 19 and 20, go into all the world and make disciples. In Acts, we've already seen in 1.18, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth, everywhere. When the disciples first heard that, pay attention, I want you to get this, because this, this unlocks a lot of the New Testament to understand it. When the disciples 
heard the great commission of Jesus at first. Their understanding was that they were going to go and make disciples, that they were going to go and be witnesses all over to the Jewish people who had been scattered. This was their understanding. Jesus says, go all over and make disciples. And their understanding, because of their, their Old Testament upbringing and, and being a part of the Old Covenant, was primarily then that God is going to bring the, the nation of Israel to faith in Jesus Christ. Not only the people in, in, in Jerusalem, but those who had been scattered. Remember when, when Jerusalem was conquered and, and, the, and the people were scattered? Think of Daniel and they were taken throughout all of the other lands. Well, not all of those people came back to Jerusalem. And so the disciples and the early church, the, the beginning understanding of what the gospel message was to do was to bring into the fold those who were scattered. And so, as we've seen through Acts so far, they preach the gospel in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost, many get saved. Uh, they go to Samaria, which again, the Samaritans were very different. But the Samaritans had a, a part in Abraham. And so they, they went to Samaria and they saw a great gospel move in Samaria. And, and then we see this interesting individual, the Ethiopian eunuch, who comes and gets saved. And, and he's from a different place, but, but where was he? He was in Jerusalem. Why? Because he came to worship. He was a proselyte. So even though he wouldn't have been born a Jew, he had come into the Jewish faith, and, and there he receives the gospel. And, and so what we've seen so far in the book of Acts is we have seen individuals from a Jewish background be presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the promises of God, the Messiah, and them receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the thought of the early church is, that's as far as it goes. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. There's an aha moment. They become surprised by grace. Surprised by the extent of grace. Surprised that God is now, through the work of Jesus Christ, reconciling not only Jews to himself, but reconciling all of the world, even the Gentiles, unto himself. And it is astounding to them. It is shocking to them. We're going to look in this passage. God has to, to show Peter three times what he wants to do. And then if you just want to jump ahead, verse 11, verse chapter, chapter 11, verse 18. All right? So, so I, I'll just, I'll sell the goods early, right? God gives Peter a vision. God leads him to a Gentile. The Gentile receives the Holy Spirit and they're saved. Peter comes back to report to the rest of the church. Guess what? Even the Gentiles are getting saved. And they're like, no. 
And then they give the testimony of what happened. Verse 18, this is, the, this is the early church leaders all gathered together. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto life. Aha! When Jesus said, go, he meant not just to go to Jews, he meant to go to everyone. When he said, you'll be my witnesses, he, he didn't just mean we would be witnesses to the, the scattered Jews. We were to be witnesses to everyone. And what happens after Acts chapter 11 is that the focus and the shift of the church changes so that no longer is the church concentrated on sharing Jesus with Jews, but sharing Jesus with everyone. Because a great big aha moment occurred. They were surprised by God's grace. All right, that's the big picture. And I hope I've communicated it. I hope you see it as we read through this. I hope that you remember that because, again, it does unlock so much of understanding how the Word of God is revealed and how, how the work of the church has gone. Now, let's look at this text. Look with me. I'm going to read. We're going to look at a large section, and then I'm going to just summarize a few important themes that we see here. Chapter 10 of Acts. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and bring one, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related the, everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted to eat something. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending and being let down on its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. That little passage right there is really the heart of what we're going to look at today. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen 
might mean, Behold, men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for, si for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Aha! <laughs> right? <laughs> Verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well known and spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house that he might hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and he went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered into Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked to him. And he went and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Remember that theme verse that God had said to him? It didn't just apply to food. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without hesitation or without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been given. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And that's where we'll stop for today. Next week, we'll look at what he says and, and how it's received. But there's three lessons here in this text that I, I think apply. The first is this. Grace is often surprising because God teaches us. God teaches us. And it, it requires God to teach us because one of the overarching lessons here is for us to realize, like Peter and the other early church leaders that we'll see as we go through uh, these texts, is that we are all prone in some way to prejudice. We are all some way prone to a prejudice. Now, prejudice is a word that simply means to prejudge someone. To, to look upon someone and for some reason to make some kind of a judgment about what kind of person, what kind of character, what kind of action, what kind of expectation you should have about that individual. Now, I'll say this. Prejudice in itself is not wrong, right? If, if you see 
somebody walking towards you that looks kind of shady holding a gun, right, you should probably think this might be a bad situation. So, so prejudice in itself is not wrong, but we ha- what we have to realize is that we are all prone to develop sinful prejudices against other people that can be a hindrance to our ability to minister to them, to our ability to love them, to our ability to share the gospel with them. Of course, the first thing we think of is is the color of skin. And and racism and and prejudice on that has been uh, a problem within our culture. I don't want to say has been. I, I think it's now even more than it has been. Uh, at least in my lifetime. At my li- it, 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 during my lifetime, and I know for some of you it's a it totally different experience, but for my lifetime, I, I hear more about race and I see more uh, prejudice today from all sides, all around, than I ever have. It's very easy for us to look upon someone else that's different than us and to have some kind of a, a prejudice, some kind of a shock. It's not just about race. Sometimes it's about um, what the person's profession is. I remember as a kid, I was told, stay away from police officers, don't trust police officers, and there were reasons why I was taught that. <laughs> and, and as a kid, I, I still remember, I had an aha moment, because the Kansas City, Kansas City Police Department used to go into the neighborhood that I lived, and they would pass out Kansas City Royals trading cards. They had these special KCPD, Kansas City Royals trading cards. And the police officers would go around through our neighborhood and hand them out to the kids. And they had a stick of that nasty bubble gum in it, but we loved it. And and I I still remember as a kid, the shift in my mind, and and this is what they were intentionally doing. It was very good, that the, the police officers aren't here to hurt you. And that it's okay to talk to them. And to see that, that they're people as well. You see, we form all kinds of different prejudices. The, the prejudice that Peter has and that the early church has is that the Gentiles are not worthy of God's grace. They're not to be the subject of God's grace. They're not to be the receivers of God's grace. And so God knowing that this is the case and God knowing that, that, that Christ has broken down these barriers and, and needing to begin to teach this to the church then, sends Peter this amazing vision. He, he sends him this vision. He teaches him as, as he's, he's, he's hungry praying. And that's always a, a bad situation, right? <laughs> and so as he's praying, he starts thinking about food. <laughs> he begins to have this vision that God sends to him. And, and this vision is very interesting. There is this sheet that is coming down, and on this sheet are all the animals that, according to the Old Testament law, they were not supposed to eat. That's, that's what was on the sheet. It was all of the things that they were not supposed to eat. By the way, this is the Bible, the, 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 the barbecue passage of the Bible, right? This is the bacon passage of the Bible. I, I figured I'd get an amen there. He gives them this vision, and, and Peter's prejudice is so strong here. Catch this. 
It comes down. And God says, what I've made clean, do not call unclean. And what does Peter say? Lord, I'd never eat that stuff. I'd never do that. And so God shows him again and again. And it says he wakes up and he's just, he's shocked. He doesn't know what this is going to mean. His aha moment hasn't come yet. But God has begun to teach him. Now, there's a lesson in this, and I don't want to get too far. This is a sermon series within itself, but it's very important. I want to mention it while we're here. There is a lesson in this revelation in what God does to help us understand the distinctiveness between the old covenant and the new covenant. So God relates to his people. God has related to humanity through covenants, through uh, agreements, through ways in which God has communicated, here is what you can do to be right with me. And these are, these are big, broad summaries of, of very uh, detailed things, but, but, but go with me. We have two, essentially, and, and it's kind of easy to track because we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. But we also have an old covenant that was that was modified and added to throughout the Old Testament. Again, we can't get into all of these things. But then we have a distinct new covenant that Jesus says comes in him. Remember the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, as he gives him the cup, this is my blood, which is the new covenant. God had, through his prophets, given some insights into the new covenant that he was going to do a new thing, that there was going to be a change. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God related to his people uh, very much through what we call the law. Through these standards and through these things that are given, uh, primarily through the first five books, the, the books of Moses. But he gives the law and says, you must do these things and, and you must keep these things and these are how you relate to me. So, uh, issues through that are things like circumcision, food laws, wearing tassels on the corner of your coat, not boiling a goat in its mother's milk. Like there's all of these things, not, not mixing uh, different types of thread together in your clothes. There's all of these laws that were written in the Old Testament and that applied to these Old Testament to the Old Testament people and within the Old Covenant that today, in the New Covenant of Jesus Christ, as we read the New Testament, we say, well, where did they go? What is happening? Right? Unfortunately, not very many people have thought well about this and considered how the Bible teaches it. This passage right here is very important for understanding that. You see, what God has done is all of the things in the Old Covenant that God did to make his people a distinct people from the rest of the nations. They, they, they ate different. Their work schedule was different. Their dress was different. How they did their hair was different. God made a, a people. He called a people out and he made a people and he made them act and live and look in such a way that they were distinct from everyone else. Because they were his people. And they were to keep all of these laws and to do all of these things so that they looked, acted, ate weird from everyone else. 
And because of that, they were not allowed to intermarry with other nations. They were not allowed to form close partnerships with other nations. All of these things within the Old Testament to where God had set these boundaries of individuals who were clean and individuals who were unclean, of things that were good and things that were not to be done, all of these laws that we read in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament have changed in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, Jesus says, we are no longer under the Old Testament law, but we are to be under the commands of Christ. John 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. For those of you who hear, <clears throat> for those words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. One of the functions of Jesus is that he is the new law giver. Throughout John, you'll read over and over again, keep my commands, keep my commands, keep my commands. One of the most important attributes of the new covenant versus the old covenant, if you look back at the prophecies of it, Ezekiel and in Jeremiah chapter 31, is this. God says that there's going to come a day where no longer you say to your, to your brothers and your neighbors, know the Lord, for all will know him. You see, God changed some of the aspects, the way that the covenant was to be seen between the old covenant and the new covenant. He, he changed some of those aspects when it comes to food, when it comes to dress, when it comes to, to some of those things. But what God did is he actually made a distinct people. We still are to be a distinct people in the New Testament. But, but it's not by the external things that we're to be distinct from the world. It's not by how we dress. It's not by how we eat. How we're to be distinct from the world today. Understanding and knowing Jesus Christ is that we love him and our lives are distinct. The intentions of what we do are distinct. You see, in Israel, during the Old Covenant, it was possible to be a member of the covenant and not be a lover of God. Read the Old Testament. <laughs> There's lots of stories of disobedient Israelites who did not love God and who God punished and judged. In the New Covenant, it's impossible to be a part of it and not love God, to not know who Jesus is. And so what's happening here? What's happening here is that, that God is sending this vision to Peter. He is orchestrating this event for Peter and for the church and for us today to realize the uniqueness of what God has done through Jesus Christ in removing the barriers of the law that all people everywhere from every background may come to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everyone. All right, that's, that's an excursion. I probably gave way more questions than I answered. But this is an incredibly important text. Do, do you feel that? Do you, do you see how this fits within how we understand the Bible and the, the development of, of, of the church 
and how important of a moment this is. God teaches us. He teaches them. How do we know how to confront our prejudices? We know because we seek to know the word of God. We seek to understand what God instructs us to do. We love the people that he loves. We hate the things that he hates. Second, grace is, so grace is surprising because God teaches us. Second, grace is surprising because God leads us. God not only teaches a lesson here, but he orchestrates this incredible meeting. If you remember in verses 1 through 8, and then Cornelius then repeats it, one of the things that makes this text difficult as we read through it is they tell the story like three times. It tells the story of when it happened. It tells the Cornelius retells the story when he go when Peter comes, and then when they come before all of the church in chapter eleven, they retell the story again. And so you hear it over and over and over again in the flow of how it works. And sometimes we then tend to lose the details. But what's interesting is God is the main character in the background of all of this. God sends a, a, a message to Cornelius, who is a man who knows of God. But he is not a proselyte. He is, he is a, a bit different than what we have seen before. He would be known as, as what would be called a God-fearing non-proselyte. A God-fearing uncircumcised man. And, and so he knows some things of God and, and truly seeks to, to worship God. But there are great barriers within the system of Judaism that he is familiar with that would keep him from being recognized as a Jew at any point. He is a Gentile. Does that make sense? And so God gives him this vision. He, he comes to him by an angel, and the angel says, get your guys Go to Peter, he's at Simon's, by the sea, he's a tanner, it probably stinks, you'll find him, right? And they go and they come, and then as they're on the journey, you got to love the way that it says it, as they're on the journey, it says, then God gives this vision to Peter, so that Peter gets this vision, it's repeated multiple times, he, he, he starts thinking, what does this mean? And as soon as he's thinking, what does this mean? There a guy named Peter here? Isn't that great? At that very moment, there's a knock on the door. And, and, and the, the men from Cornelius' home have come to Joppa. They're at Simon's house. And this is a critical moment. What does Peter do? Gentiles have just showed up. They're not allowed to eat with them. They're not allowed to fellowship with them. But God has just torn down all of those barriers in his mind. He says, let him in. He says, let him in. Let him stay with us. And in all of this, we see the Lord working. I, I want to tell you, it is an amazing thing to allow God to lead you. To overcome any kind of prejudices that you would have against other people. To, to, to go to uh, different people than you normally would and to be able to share with them about Christ to to pray God where would you lead me how would you send me one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had was in the summer of 2000 in the summer of 2000 I ended up on a mission trip in China um, with some other guys hiking around in the middle of nowhere um, like seriously in forests that if we disappeared nobody would know and 
we went one day into a village. We hiked up a mountain. The people group that we were working with were always at the tops of mountains. We hiked up to a mountain. They received us. And they asked us to come and to stay in a hut. And so we go up into one of these elevated huts with all the animals underneath. Don't, don't, don't ever live on the top story of the barn. It's nasty. Okay. But they, we're up in the, in, in the, in the hut there. And the, the, somebody from the village had asked if anybody had medicine. And so our, our missionary that was leading us and we had a couple of paramedics that were on the team. They went out into the village while we all stayed in this hut, what we thought would be just a few minutes, but Four hours had gone by, and it's like five of us and one old Kawa man, and he's just chewing on betel nut, which is this this stuff that they chew on, and it makes everything red, and it just drips down, and he's just chewing on betel nut, and every once in a while, he'll say something, And, and we have someone on the team that can speak Mandarin, but they can't speak Kawa. And he'd get animated and tell us this thing over and over again. We had no idea what it was. Finally, someone from the village came in that that spoke Kawa and Mandarin. And we were able to communicate that what the, the old man had been telling us for hours is, don't worry, we won't take your heads. We were in a village of headhunters. And then he began to explain how they would beat the drums, kill other tribes, and put their heads on stakes. To appease the gods and we're like when is the missionary coming back well they went and had a wonderful day they they helped some people with some wounds and some different things and they came back and the people wanted us to stay for dinner and so we stayed for dinner and um and then after dinner a group of the elders come into the hut where we are and we start hearing drums and we're like oh no this is it The missionary stands up and he takes a Bible and he says, I want to share with you. He said, he says, do you, do you want to know why we're here? Why we've come all the way around the world to this place? Because our God wants us to tell you that he loves you and that you don't know him, but he wants you to know him. And this is his book. And we want you to have this book that you might know him. And he began in Genesis. He knew that that tribe had an account of their history of a flood. And it begins in Genesis with with the creation of man and about a flood. And as he begins to talk about a flood, a woman stands up in the hut and she's just going crazy. And I'm like, this is it. She's just, she's going, she's, she's just animated, going crazy. And I'm freaked out. The translator translates back to us and says, what she's saying is, they used to tell this story to us. What this man says is true. His book is true. They no longer tell us about this anymore. I was floored. I was just amazed at what God will do when you allow him to lead you I found out a few years later that after our visit, we left Bibles with them and, and, the, and the, the movie about uh, the, the, the Jesus. We, we left that material with them. And, and, and later, um, Asian missionaries came to that same village, and many people there received Christ. 
What an incredible experience that we would be led by God, that we would be led through any kind of prejudices that we would have, that we would see people who are very different than us, who do very different things than us, who have a very different background than us, and realize that they're all image bearers of God and all able to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. Third thing, very quickly here, grace is surprising because God uses us. Because God uses us. It's amazing here. God is preparing the hearers and God is preparing the preachers. You see that? He, he gave a vision to Cornelius and he gave a vision to Peter. Cornelius gathers all of his people together and, and he says, this man is, is, God has sent an angel that this man is coming that he's going to tell us something amazing. Get ready. Peter God breaks down all the barriers with Peter and he sends them there. And he goes and it's a ready situation. What we'll see next week is Peter doesn't even get to finish his sermon before everybody starts to get saved. It is an amazing thing to allow yourself to be used by God. And often for God to use you, you have to first overcome prejudices that you have against others As we wrap up let me say this is is there someone who you view that's beyond god's ability to save you see peter in the early church they looked at the gentiles here early on and they said salvation's not for them they're too wicked they're too far they don't have the law they haven't done these things they eat bacon salvation's not for them it wasn't even on their radar to go and to tell Gentiles about Jesus. Do you see that? And God broke down that barrier. Today, for you, are there individuals that God has called you to? Neighbors, family members. Sometimes we, we, sometimes we, we look at people and think they're just too far gone. They're too smart. They've been too educated. They're too hostile to God. Do you remember the story that, that preceded this? That, that Paul, the persecutor of the church, Saul, was redeemed by Jesus Christ? There's nobody too far gone. That's what, that's what this early book of Acts is showing us. The Samaritans, God can save them. An Ethiopian eunuch, God can save him. The persecutor of the church, the, the biggest God-hater that we all know about, God saved him. Gentiles, God's going to start saving them too. Isn't that amazing? Let us not make a barrier and call unclean what God has made clean. Friends, this same gospel that was at work here in this text, and we'll read the message next week, this, this gospel is at work today. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All can trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. There is no barrier that you have except your unwillingness to trust in Christ. Would you follow him? Would today be your aha moment? Maybe you've heard the gospel your whole life, but today you've realized God has opened up your heart that you were to receive him. Friends, for us who are believers today, here's a radical prayer. God, Show me my prejudices. 
Show me, Lord, people who you have been working in their hearts, who you have been preparing, and I have just been blind to, that I might minister to them, that I might share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. And God will teach you. God will lead you. And God will use you when you begin to pray that way and look at people that way. Will we pray?